welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Superstars, welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, a journalist, and a quantum languaging consultant. And here on Word Up, we talk about how language functions to program reality, how to transform ourselves and our world with language. And we also dive into propaganda, cultural criticism, and of course, a sprinkling of interviews with high vibe visionaries and rebel badasses. Today, we're gonna play with one of the concepts, maybe a few of the concepts from my newest book, The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. And what I wanna talk about today is this tiny little prefix, anti, and how completely useless it is and how it actually works against us most all of the time. Now, for those who have not read my new book, The Language of Betterarchy, I'm kind of tiptoeing us through it in this 2024. Um, The book is an examination of how hierarchy is in fact the primary 
issue obstacle we are facing as a global human species in terms of empowering ourselves, in terms of feeding, clothing, and hydrating everyone on the planet, in terms of us unifying and creating a more peaceful, abundant world. The powers that were slash social engineers would like us to think that patriarchy is the biggest problem that we're facing and that the quote unquote fix is to put formerly or currently marginalized groups in positions of power while kicking former top dogs to the curb and to be sure to do it with um, violence and derision. Alas, I'm not down with a societal structure that needs their needs there to be losers for there to be winners in the same way that i'm not down with mistreating my fellow humans or shaming blaming deriding them for you know ridiculousness like having a y chromosome or the amount of melanin in their skin any of that that's just so backwards like we've moved past this we, we actually have evolved past this but um those same social engineers in as part of their divide and conquer shenanigans would like us to think that we haven't and have thus inserted this really divisive narrative into our collective discourse so <clears throat> the language of betterarchy is proposing that putting women on top putting black people on top putting differently abled trans giraffes on top is not in fact a solution when we are expecting other groups in our culture to sh take short shrift. If we need there to be losers for there to be winners, then it's time for us to evolve out of this structure altogether. Remember, we are a singular species of humans who are united through a singular field of energy called the morphogenetic field. Granted, we are all singular individual expressions of that energy, right? No part of me is attempting to deny our uniqueness or our individuality. But my point is simply that if there are swaths of our population that are suffering, then it's doing all of us a disservice. And given that we are a singular species of humans, from my perspective, our wisest move is to create win-win solutions that serve the greatest good for the most number of people. So I'm not okay signing on to boons or solutions or progress for women or for other you know, racial, religious groups, groups who are identified you know, by their sexual preferences while kicking other groups to the curb and sloughing it off and rationalizing it with like, oh, it's their turn to suffer. Oh, it's their turn to be treated poorly in our culture. No, that's insane. It's, it's really time for us to evolve out of this altogether. And so I've pinpointed betterarchy as a sort of placeholder for whatever the up-leveled iteration of our culture is going to be. Uh, for anyone who's read the book or was friends with me during this process, you'll know that I spent quite a lot of time scouring Latin dictionaries and looking up prefixes and suffixes and trying to create a new word that would represent where I'm supporting us in going as a humanity. Alas, you know, synarchy, which was my favorite, was co-opted and weaponized by um, the Third Reich as well as other fascist regimes. Regimes, so I just didn't feel comfortable like resting on it for a long time. I thought heterarchy was actually going to be the up-leveled solution. But I haven't found any examples of large-scale implementation. I know there are small groups. Um, you know, there are organizations, allegedly the Quakers are heterarchical. I know that um, there are some, you know, businesses that have heterarchical aspects, but because I wasn't finding any examples of large scale implementation, I didn't feel comfortable hanging the hat um, called this body of work, the language of betterarchy on heterarchy, heterarchy being a system of organization that privileges no one 
over the other. And let's keep in mind that privilege and status are baked into hierarchy. That is the definition of hierarchy. Um, it is an organizational structure that is defined by privileging and status. So as I said, I'm using betterarchy as a placeholder for the up-leveled iteration of our culture. And in my book, The Language of Betterarchy, um, I'm helping point us to the language that is empowering and sustaining hierarchy. Let's keep in mind that hierarchy is not a physical thing built of bricks and mortar or wood and pegs. It is a conceptual abstraction. And as such, it is kept alive by, um, by our thoughts and our words, right? By speaking a language of hierarchy, by thinking in a hierarchical framework, right? These are the tools that are sustaining hierarchy. And, you know, the rub as well as the benefit is that you and I are responsible for maintaining and empowering hierarchy by continuing to speak and think in this hierarchical structure. The beauty of this as is the beauty of anything when we choose to take 100% responsibility for our experience of reality is that we can change it. If we're the ones who are sustaining hierarchy by continuing to speak hierarchy, by continuing to think hierarchy, by continuing to, um, you know, enact solutions, quote unquote solutions within the guardrails set up by hierarchy, then we also have the power to completely change the game, remove our consent from hierarchy, start speaking into thinking in framing reality in betterarchy, and thus creating our world accordingly. Remember, both Tesla and Einstein told us that if you want to understand the nature of the reality, we need to think in terms of frequency. And the basis of my work as a quantum languaging coach, consultant, and educator is that every word is encoded with its own unique frequency. And those frequencies then function as reality coding tools. When I'm speaking frequencies, that are coded with fear, conflict, lack, limitation, then those are the tools with which I am program programming our reality construct. Reality gives us back exactly what we put into it, right? So when we're speaking in hierarchical language and we're speaking these frequencies of division, disempowerment, fixity, wrong use of will, violence, um, then it's insane to expect reality to configure itself any differently. It's going to give us back exactly what we put in. And so in my book, The Language of Betterarchy, I've pinpointed 10 markers of hierarchical languaging as a means of helping us clue in to when we are speaking hierarchy, when we are thinking in hierarchy, when we're limiting ourselves by these artificial boundaries of hierarchy. So. The 10 markers of hierarchy that I've pinpointed in the book, separation, identity, conflict, victimhood, wrong use of will, fixity, lack and limitation. I have them sharing their own chapter because there's so many crossovers between them. Fear, status, and that's it. <laughs> and what I pinpoint in the book is not only the markers of hierarchical languaging, but then I give us the upgrades, right? So how to translate anything that we would normally be speaking or framing within the con the constraints, the confines of hierarchy, and how to translate those into betterarchy. The beauty of this is that it, it empowers us to start changing our world for the better slash betterarchical now, right? And I think one of the issues that, you know, is plaguing a lot of us is that we see what a mess the world is, right? We see how so many structures are inviting, recreating, reinventing, overhauling, and we don't know how to do it. So we just tap out. This is a tool that allows us to start making those changes now. We don't need to, you know, specifically 
tackle the education system, the justice system, um, agriculture, medicine, uh, infrastructure, um, one by one by one. Because if we do, if we take that tack and we start approaching those things using hierarchical framing, right, and with hierarchical languaging, then the supposed upgrades will still be infused with the exact same issues that we're dealing with now. If we're using a language that is encoded with lack, limitation, violence, and separation, then whatever quote-unquote solutions we create from that language will still have the exact same issues of violence, conflict, lack, limitation, separation baked into them because they're baked into the tools that we're using to create these so-called solutions. So this is my kindergarten overview of the language of betterarchy and what I'm proposing. Now, in the last um, quantum languaging podcast that I did, we talked about the ER suffix, right? And how dangerous that is. Anti as a prefix is another one that we're going to go into. And, and where, where there's crossover is that I see so many of us who are hip to the sham show, right? Who are hip to so many of the agendas that are pushing us into really dangerous slavey territory. But I also see so many of us unwittingly using the language of hierarchy using the language that our would-be oppressors want us to be using, which has us doing their dirty work for them. Remember that the subconscious mind is responsible for 95% of our experience of reality. And the number one means of programming the subconscious mind is through language. So when we are using a language that is rife with disempowering enslavement coding, then we're the ones who are disempowering and enslaving ourselves. So, you know, in one sense, I give the social engineers props for coming up with such a brilliant plan that has us doing their dirty work for them. Um, and I'm here to encourage us to switch it up and stop using their language and stop using words that are working against us. Um, on the regular, right? And this is the main thing with, you know, the language of better, betterarchy, quantum languaging, all of the languaging tools that I share. These tools are very, very simple. They're not complicated to grasp. They're very, very easy to implement. The biggest opportunity, and I'm using the word opportunity to replace the word challenge to clue our subconscious minds into the fact that this is something um, that is absolutely doable uh, versus, you know, the coding and challenge, which has the subconscious mind shutting down and thinking it, it's too hard, is that we have the power to switch up our languaging choices. We have the power to remove our consent from hierarchy, from enslavement and genocide by ceasing to use language encoded with frequencies that would support those aims and to instead use language that is coded with frequencies that empower, unite, um, and foster inspiration, abundance, encouragement, and oodles of fun. So let's talk about this word anti. Anti is often tacked onto words to attempt to negate them, right? So let's take anti-poverty. Let's just take something really, really um, neutral. And I think it's on the World Bank's website where they claim that they're an anti-poverty group, right? So we'll use them as the example. So since the World Bank has been in operation, have they done away with poverty? Has their work bridged any gaps between the wealth inequities on this planet? Has their work eradicated Poverty has their work eradicated starvation or um, the types of illnesses that come from dirty drinking water, etc. No, no, they haven't. They, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see them doing anything to eliminate poverty. Now, why is that? So let's take the phrase anti-poverty. It really doesn't matter what word the prefix anti is modifying. It functions to empower 
and strengthen whatever is it is modifying because we're activating those frequencies in their articulation, right? So when I say anti-poverty, I've just implanted the word poverty into your consciousness. I've also activated, activated the frequencies of poverty in my own being, in my own subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is extremely literal. It doesn't understand nuance. It doesn't understand subtlety. It doesn't understand prefixes and suffixes. So when I say anti-poverty, the subconscious mind isn't latching on to the anti. It's latching on to poverty. And by articulating the word poverty, I'm casting my vote for more poverty in our reality construct by articulating it by signing on to its existential validity and by infusing that existential validity into our morphogenetic field, which, as I've said, functions as reality creation technology, right? Whatever we put into the morphogenetic field, it takes as, oh, this is what humanity wants more of. So I'm going to go ahead and organize reality accordingly, according to these frequencies, so I'm going to read you a passage from the anti-section in my new book, The Language of Betterarchy, um, because I put so much effort into writing this book. And as much as I can like speak to you off the cuff, I'm really happy with the, the kind of refinement, not the kind of refinement, the legit refinement that went into these printed words. So Anti is in the conflict section, right? It, it is a, one element of the language of conflict because anti is trying to combat whatever word follows it. It really doesn't matter what that word is. Anti-sexism, anti-aging, anti-cavity, anti-poverty. Anti is in conflict. It's in a sort of soft, violent opposition to whatever follows it. So, Reading from the book, <clears throat> there are plenty of toxic languaging patterns embedded in the collective lexicon. Anti may be one of the most damaging given its widespread weaponization and proliferation in this junk metal age of outrage through which we as a collective are waiting. Anti is a combative little prefix <clears throat> Let's try that again. Anti is a combative little prefix that alleges to oppose whatever it modifies, be it war, trust, poverty, aging, sexism, racism, or any of the myriad ideological isms pervading the cultural landscape. Modifying a word or a concept with anti and thinking we are not invoking its energies in our reality construct is like painting a mural of a pink elephant and then putting a big red X over it. Meanwhile, pretending that we aren't implanting the image of a pink elephant into the minds of everyone who sees it. And yes, there is a cute little illustration of a little elephant with a circle slash through it. Stapling anti onto whatever it is we claim to oppose is a masculine shadow strategy that seeks to squash slash barrel over the offending idea instead of stretching itself to describe the solution or the pivot it would prefer to support. Anti is the epitome of the kind of force that Dr. David Hawkins wrote about in his seminal book, power versus force, wherein he explained force always creates counterforce. Its effect is to polarize rather than unify. What this means is that despite any and all intentions to the contrary, anti functions to generate friction, opposition, and pushback while strengthening and empowering that which it attempts to counter in the process. So I'm going to stop here, even though there's plenty more, but I want to speak to this specific point. And um, I'm also going to speak to some points that I didn't include in the book, but the reason why anti is in the conflict section is because it's oppositionally oriented, right? 
And so what this opposition does is it not only activates, but it strengthens the thing that it's opposing because it's giving it energy, right? Think of any time you've been maybe in a conflict or faced with potential conflict, right? And we all get, you know, not all, but people who are addicted to conflict or running, you know, certain programs around conflict will feed off of the dopamine hits that they get in engaging conflict. So notice what happens, like we see this a lot in the, you know, social media sphere. Well, someone will, will say something to poke at someone, right? To pick a fight. Um, and if you just put it down, just walk away, that uh, will help it dissipate. But if we meet that force with more force, if someone's like, you know, you're you're an idiotic Trumper, anti-vaxxer, whatever, um, and I come at them, no, I'm not, you're a blah, 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 that argument will escalate. This wasn't the best example, right? But, but when we meet force with more force, then it exponentially escalates the conflict or the disagreement. When we meet that insult or that attempt to start a fight with neutrality, there's nowhere for it to go. So it necessarily dissipates. Anti is like meeting, you know, the the child or the, you know, sort of lesser developed consciousness that's trying to pick a fight. It's meeting that fight energy and it's exacerbating it. So when I say, you know, let's say that I identified as anti-sexist. Just by claiming to be anti-sexist, I'm fueling, empowering, and growing the concept of sexism, as well as how sexism appears in this world, right? Because I'm giving it life and legitimacy by articulating it. When I say sexism, and I articulate those frequencies in my own body, if I'm someone who gets riled up about sexism, who gets bunged up, I am going to be riling myself up. Um, You know, a lot of times when I get pushback for how language functions to program reality around the social justice situation, it will be from people who are like doubling down and defending the virtue of being anti-racist, anti-sexist, right? So when I'm faced with those situations, I'll invite the the people to close their eyes and and just say the word sexist and notice what frequencies it inspires in the body, right? And oftentimes it'll be like anger, rage, sadness, right? So why would we be wanting to run those frequencies through our body? Why would we be choosing to run those frequencies through our body? Those frequencies are going to suppress the immune system they're going to um, do a number on our nervous systems, right? On our peace of mind, right? If, I, if, if racism or sexism are concepts or ideas that um, I'm not happy about, why would I want to give them life by articulating them, let alone by self-identifying with these terms, right? Anytime I say anti-sexist, The morphogenetic field is not hearing that anti, they're hearing sexist, and then they're going, oh, you want more sexism, great, right? And it's not, like, the morphogenetic field and the the reality creation forces on this, in this realm are totally neutral, right? There's no value judgment, they're simply giving back what we put in. Which is why this anti, this oppositional force is totally working against us, because it's just creating more of whatever it is we claim that we don't want. Um, So I see this a lot in terms of our conversation, like let's take anti-vaxxer. I get very, very frustrated when I see people who know better. Let's just take RFK, right? Like whatever we think about him as a presidential candidate, and I'm going to keep my big fat opinions to myself on this. Um, He's definitely done quite a lot of work in terms of the larger FOVID narrative and the vaccine narrative. I've heard him say, and I've heard him like use the word, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, right? As a means of separating himself from the deleterious dehumanizing coding that has gone into that um, insult, right? And that kind of, that word that's used as a means of insulting people. 
The problem is, is that when we're using the language of those who would seek to oppress us, we're validating their constructs. We're choosing to have conversations within their enslavement constructs, which is only validating their enslavement constructs while at the same time fueling and empowering their nonsense, right? So I don't identify as anti anything because I am not an oppositionally oriented human, right? Um, there was a time during lockdown where I ran into a friend um, who said, oh, I heard you're an anti-masker. And I said, I'm not an anti-anything, I'm a human being. To claim that I was an anti-masker not only would fuel and empower the whole masking situation, but it would be to normalize masking. And this is one of the, the primary issues that I wanna to speak to today because this actually isn't in the language of betterarchy, is where embracing any of these oppositional framings, i.e. anti, we're normalizing whatever it is we're anti. When I say I'm anti-sexism, I'm normalizing sexism. I'm saying sexism is the baseline normal state of reality. And I am placing myself um, in the position of like the dissent by claiming I'm anti-sexism, which again, all we're doing is acknowledging the normalization of sexism and giving it more credence, right? Same with anti-mask, like masking is not normal. Like that's not uh, anything that any culture that I'm aware of has done. You know, it's, it's choosing to take some external object and of my own volition, strap it around my face, right? So by claiming to be an anti-masker, now I'm the weirdo for not putting the mask on my face. And I'm going to invite you to, if you haven't listened to my ER podcast, to understand the dehumanizing ridiculousness of anti-mask-er, please check out that show. But the normalization part, I think, is really crucial for us to, to clue into. Um, when I say I'm anti-vax, I'm normalizing the injecting of um, foreign substances or manipulated substances into the body, and I'm denormalizing the idea of just moving through the world, having faith in my immune system, and not taking these external, um, I know there's a word for it, we're just, we'll just call them injections, but, but it's normalizing the injecting of these additional things into our body and we're making those of us who are choosing not to the weirdos. This is why this is extremely dangerous. For anyone who is um, aware of Yuri Bezmenov's work and the four stages of ideological subversion, we know that normalization is the fourth and final stage before a culture is completely enveloped in its communist fascist takeover and has basically surrendered all of its freedoms to tyranny. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this globalist agenda has gone way too far. We've given it far too much territory. You know, this is why I was so vocal about, you know, A, encouraging us to not buy into the divide and conquer stuff back when it started um, before Trump was elected, right? Or right around the time Trump was elected. And when I saw the Me Too movement blow up, and I saw people demonizing men. And that's why I was so vocal and saying, hey guys, let's not buy into this divide and conquer. Let's not demonize our fellow human beings and put them into dehumanizing boxes. This is going in a very, very, very dangerous direction, right? And I was doing this not because I get off on being the squeaky wheel. In fact, quite the opposite. I find it exhausting and tiresome and annoying. But for whatever reason, you know, Sun North Node in Aquarius, uh, Bodhisattva, whatever, you know, karmic agreements I made before taking incarnation, I feel this insane drive to safeguard humanity and to show up for our safety and well-being. So this is why I was speaking out about the mask mandates early on, where I was like, guys, this is going in a really 
dangerous direction, it's going to be much easier for us to stand up for the freedom to breathe free faced now than it's going to be when, you know, they're forcing injections, when they're forcing us, attempting to force us onto, you know, CBDC um, currencies, social credit systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, normalization is something that is really important for us to all, 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 all of us be staving off. And these antis function as a means of normalization. Um, you know, we can see it in terms of even climate change denier. And that's, you know, that goes more back to my ER show than it does anti. But again, you know, folding in the normalization conversation, it normalizes the idea of buying into the um, climate change hysteria. And it abnormalizes the questioning of it. You know, same goes with really any of the antis, you know, and, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll come back to the deleterious coding and anti and all the different ways that it's working against us in a moment, but I really want to stick with this normalization piece because I see us as a humanity teetering off of such a dangerous edge right now. And I know so many people who know better, right? Um, people who understand how dark this agenda is, people who understand how dangerous these mRNA injections are. And even though they're not opting to take these injections themselves, they're going along with um, kind of an act to get along, right? So it's like, I'm thinking of my friends who chose to muzzle themselves so that they could fly during lockdown, even though they knew it was wrong. And they were like, well, I just want to go where I want to go. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to this festival. You know, I want to do what I want to do. And in my perspective, it's the downside of our American individualism that I myself love so much, right? It's why I'm this very outspoken, opinionated woman because I've had the, the benefit, the quote unquote privilege of growing up in a country where free speech has been protected. But I do see our addiction to comfort and luxury and you know living our best lives and doing what we wanna do working against us right now because the stakes are really high in terms of our collective freedom. So, you know, I'm thinking of friends who had forged vax cards. Um, and it was like, look, anytime you go to a venue that requires you to be vaccinated, despite the fact that we have a Nuremberg code, <laughs> despite the fact that it's this like giant human rights violation, you are normalizing this apartheid state that they're trying to create, this two-tiered class system. And whereas before, you know, because this is my first global apocalypse, I'm figuring it out as I go along and definitely making mistakes along the way. So, you know, during lockdowns and, and you know, the, the push for the injections, I was kind of hard on my friends for, you know, what I was judging as them selling out their integrity. And then I pulled back from that stance and I thought, well, look, I don't know what their role is in this. And maybe because my role is to be really like loud mouth and in, in your face about it, in all of our faces about it, maybe they have a different role, you know? And I did have a friend say to me, you know, I have a friend who he knows what's going on and he didn't get injected, but he lied to every single person in his life. Everyone is in his family, 100% of his friends and all of his jobs. And he said to me is like well I look at how you've been ejected and you've lost so many friends and so many doors have been shut in your face. And I don't want that to happen to me and I was like I get it like that makes sense, you know what i've gone through and i'm sure what you as you know so many of us. You know listening to this show cluing in have gone through is extremely painful um, so I get that right and I pulled back. But I'm changing my mind again because we've given them too much territory and this normalization is getting really disturbing. Um, and 
you know, something that came up around this happened over the weekend where I was having lunch with a friend of mine and he's, you know, we have very different worldviews and he thinks the injections are awesome and whatever. It's none of my business. He's a friend and I love him. But he was kind of poking at me and, you know, why do I have to speak out about everything and why do I have to shove it in everyone's faces all the time? And on the one hand, I understand, right? Like if I'm in a social situation at a dinner party, I'm not going to shame people for making choices that don't align with my values, right? Like I'm not a psychopath. But as I was explaining to him, I was like, look, normalization is the fourth and final stage to ideological subversion, wherein a nation or a culture, or in this case, an entire planet is taken over from the inside. So first you have demoralization, then you have, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but it's like the de oh, destabilization, right? So first is de demoralization, where you demoralize a nation, you know, whether it's through drugs, loose sexual morals, um, you know, Netflix and chill, alcohol, drinking in every single television show, in every single movie, you know, the legalization and decriminalization of drugs, uh, porn, you know, which is, Jesus Christ, I could do so many shows on how damaging porn is. Um, but so you have demoralization, which takes about 20 years, which is how long it takes to capture at least an entire generation. And you look at, you know, common core curriculum, thanks Obama, thanks Clinton, thanks Bill Gates. Um, you look at how the education system and academia has been completely taken over by this like Maoist Marxist agenda. <clears throat> Not to mention our, um, you know, our media, not to mention, you know, trauma-based mind control coming through the screens. Like how many times were we faced with those images of the planes going through the Twin Towers? Like they just really wanted to get it in. Like, you're not safe. You're not safe. Brown people hate you. This is why we have to invade Iraq. Like, you know, like all of that stuff. So they've been pretty successful, probably super successful with demoralization. Um, then we have destabilization. Look at, you know, what's happened in terms of our economy, the 2008 collapse, um, how you have, you know, Airbnb and VRBO destroying rental markets, like really destroying rental markets. I mean, we could go on and on and on about how the destabilization, destabilization has gone down. And then we have crisis, right? So we saw the crisis with 9-11, which is what allowed them to pass the Patriot Act rescind our constitutional rights. We're still under that tyranny, by the way. And every president who has been in that office since has renewed the Patriot Act. Um, you know, you have, um, I mean, there's there are so many, but then of course we have FOVID, right? That being like the big giant crisis that is allowing them to kind of fast track their globalist nonsense. But normalization is the last, last piece. And so, you know, tying it back into anti, anti, that prefix functions as a means of normalizing their tyrannical nonsense. It normalizes masking. It normalizes vaccines. It normalizes, you know, by, and I'm just going to put it in the same kind of realm, how climate change denier is normalizing the buying into the climate change narrative. Like even science, you know, I trust the science. So we're normalizing science as a cult that is no longer open to intellectual debate, which verily defines science pre-weaponization of that word. But going back, and I, I realize that I'm kind of all over the place. This is a very non-linear show today, uh, but as it's probably going to be coming out during Aquarian season, Aquarius season, it feels appropriate for, you know, she who is the non-linear thinking Aquarius. Um, but when it came up with my friend and I was using the example of like, look, I don't like being the squeaky wheel. But if I go into a store here in New Mexico that says um, we don't take cash, it is so important that I speak up to that and don't normalize it because of how the stakes are, which is why when that happens, I say, well, that's in direct violation of the New Mexico state constitution, which clearly states that cash is legal tender. So you have two choices. Um, you can take my cash, 
for what I'm trying to buy from you, or I can leave the store with it if you're refusing to take cash and it's legally mine and you can call the cops who will have my back on this. It's really your choice. I don't do this because I'm getting off on uh, pushing back or creating conflict. I'm doing this because it is incumbent upon me and you and all of us to push back against normalization. When I push back against that in a store or restaurant, everyone around me sees that. So what could have been normalized by me saying, okay, here's my credit card. Um, I'm now being a hiccup in the system. I'm disrupting the tyranny. And when I do that, I'm modeling that for other people. And I, hopefully I'm emboldening that to, I'm emboldening them to also do the same thing. Because this is, kind, I don't wanna say it's our last hope. I'm not going to limit us, right? Um, limitation being another one of those markers of hierarchy. From my perspective, it is one of the best ways for us to stave off normalization is to speak out about it and to say no when we have the opportunity. It doesn't mean be rude, right? I'm very polite when I do it. When I go to check out at a restaurant and the waiter brings me this little machine, I say, I would prefer a printed check and some privacy, thank you so much, right? To let them know I'm not okay with this automation. I will not normalize automation. Same thing when I'm, you know, the, the couple times a year that I go to Whole Foods, which I'd really prefer not to, um, I always ask to speak with the manager and I say, hey, I know that this isn't your call, but I would just like you to know and I'd like your higher ups to know, like, I'm not okay with the self-checkout. And I'd really prefer that you bring back more human cashiers so that we can employ people, keep that money circulating in our local economy, and I can have a human interaction with someone with sentience and compassion when I'm here giving your store slash corporation my money, right? I'm very kind when I do it, but it's so important that we don't normalize where we're at, be it climate change, be it, you know, forced injections, uh, be it, you know, the, the, uh, the removal of cash from our exchanges. And so in terms of anti and pointing out how it functions as a means of normalizing, right? When I say I'm anti-sexist, not only am I normalizing sexism, okay, so sexism, is, so sexism is the baseline, and therefore I'm the outlier who's defining herself as anti, thus empowering more sexism in our reality construct, right? So that's how that's functioning. But also, when I'm defining myself with this oppositional stance, I'm anti-sexist, I need sexism to exist, to have a mission, to have existential validity in my world, right? So if I'm defining myself as an anti-sexist, I need to find instances of sexism to validate my orientation, to give myself a mission, right? So now I'm constantly looking for sexism to validate myself. I'm going to be interpreting the world through this lens called sexism or anti-sexism, which basically are doing the exact same thing. So now I'm gonna take any neutral experience, oh, the waiter forgot my French fries, as he's a sexist, he hates women, um, which is only empowering the construct of sexism. I'm seeing this happen in these various like Senate hearings that you know I'm seeing coming through the news. And I'm it's it's so frustrating to me to see these women be like, oh, is a woman allowed to talk here? As though any you know, policy opposition is now a sexism issue, which is only fueling and empowering the construct of sexism and giving us more of it. Also creating more oppositional energy, more resentment in the people who are being accused of sexism when sexism really had nothing to do with what was going on, right? Like we can see this with anti-Semitism and how this phrase is being so misused. And as a Jew, I find it really offensive. You know, any critique, of Soros and what George Soros is doing in terms of buying off judges or, you know, the insane amount of money that he gives to these Maoist Marxist groups trying to destroy America from the inside. Any criticism is dubbed anti-Semitic. That is a, an abuse of that term. We're not talking about whether he's Jewish or not. We're not talking about our ideas about Judaism. This word is being used as a shield to keep us from having 
intellectual conversations, like debate about what's actually happening in the world. So these are actually weapons that the social engineers are using to shut down conversation and debate. And it's frustrating for me to see those, you know, people like you and me and all of us who are understanding these conversations use these phrases that are actually working against us. So what is the fix, right? We're, we're nearing the end of today's conversation. The fix is instead of defining myself by what I oppose, why don't we define ourselves by what we're for, thus lending more legitimacy, more validity to those concepts, right? So I'm not anti-sexist, I'm pro-gender equality. I'm not anti-racist because I would never choose to empower that construct called racism. I'm pro-equality. I'm not anti-poverty. I'm pro enough to go around, right? I'm, I'm pro-peace. Mother Teresa said this. She's like, I want nothing to do with an anti-war rally, but if you have a pro-peace rally, sign me up, right? And it speaks to the indoctrinated laziness that we're being called to transmute and grow out of right now, wherein instead of resting in the problem and deluding ourselves into thinking that being in opposition to the problem, divine, defining ourselves in an oppositional stance to the problem is a solution. It's not a solution. It's insane. The actual solution is to put ourselves in the frequency of the solution, to speak from the frequency of the solution and to allow those frequencies to guide us and to show us, well, what are the action steps that we take from the frequency of the solution, right? So instead of defining myself as anti-sexist, were I to define myself as pro-gender equality, and now I'm empowering the frequencies of gender equality. I'm advocating, advocating for the frequencies of gender equality. I'm emitting the frequencies of gender equality and casting my vote for more gender equality in the morphogenetic field and into our collective reality construct at large. I'm also activating the imaginations of anyone to whom I'm speaking by implanting those frequencies, right? If we continue to define ourselves as anti-sexist, anti-racist, anti-mask, anti-vax, we're only speaking into and from the frequencies of the problem. How are solutions going to emerge from the paradigm of the problem when they're keeping us within the boundaries of the problem? They're keeping us stuck in that construct. The only way we're going to obliterate the constructs of the problem is to stop speaking those frequencies all together, to starve them out by re removing our consent and instead speaking the frequencies of the solutions and living into those steadfastly and tenaciously. So it's simply taking those extra steps of like, okay, so I'm not digging this thing. What would I dig? You know, what does it look like when we all have enough to eat, when we're living into an abundant multiverse, right? Um, and using that as a means of defining ourselves or identifying ourselves if we're choosing to self-identify. Um, you know, and a lot of us, myself personally, am, am seeking more and more to identify less and less, right? Fewer things to identify with, to, fewer things I'm identified as, the more freedom I have moment to moment to moment. So as you can see, anti is doing a lot of harm on a lot of different levels. Um, and our wisest move is to get out of that anti-framing and into the pro-framing. It also comes up a lot in the victimhood conversation. And, you know, you heard me mention victimhood as one of the markers of hierarchical languaging. And as I explain in the language of betterarchy, there's a lot of crossover between, um, between the categories that I've delineated in the book, right? Separation consciousness is an umbrella under which we also see conflict applying. We also see identity applying. We also see um, victimhood applying, right? But notice in the victimhood conversation, so one of the markers of victim consciousness is narcissism, right? So when I am operating in victim consciousness, 
it becomes a me-centric multiverse, right? Um, we know in a heliocentric universe, uh, everything is revolving around the sun. When I'm operating under victim consciousness, everything revolves around me, right? And people are doing things to me. It's not that the world or other people are operating in neutrality. It's, it's everything is directed against me because victim consciousness has this narcissistic delusion running it. So the way anti works, and we see this a lot in like, um, you know, the anti trans conversation, where if, if I were to say misgender someone, and then I would be accused of being anti trans, that story would have me believing that the person who maybe out of ignorance or carelessness or just neutrality and not really caring didn't use the right pronoun the the, the conflation of that into an anti-trans stance is to impose upon me an oppositional identity construct that i can guarantee is not appropriate isn't even there um and and the way that this anti-word is being wielded within these various, you know, um, social justice, identitarian conversations is the epitome of lunacy, right? Just because I use the wrong pronoun doesn't mean that I care enough to identify myself, to create a, an oppositional stance towards your movement. Maybe your movement isn't on my radar. Maybe your movement is something that I haven't even thought about. So to project an anti-stance onto me, oops, to project an anti-stance onto me is like the pinnacle of narcissism to think that I, that you and what you prioritize is also that important to me. And that if I don't have an opinion, if I remain neutral to conflate that with an anti-stance is to make oneself really important in other people's wor worlds in a really delusional narcissistic way. So just another angle in on the anti-conversation and how the anti-prefix is functioning on so many different levels to fragment, um, to create division, opposition, conflict, to foster victim consciousness, and to empower all of the isms, you know, and, um, and bummer things that we'd really see less of in the world. The quickest way um, for us to move out of these energies, to disempower these energies is to stop speaking them altogether. And anti is functioning in the exact opposite way. As you are inspired to learn more about, you know, how anti is functioning as conflict languaging, how conflict Conflict languaging is functioning as a means of propping up hierarchy, how hierarchy and hierarchical languaging are working against us as a global populace of humans. I highly recommend nabbing yourself a copy of my new book, The Language of Betterarchy, which is available in print, in ebook, as well as on audiobook. So if you'd like me to read the book to you, that is also an option. This does it for today's show. Thank you again for tuning in to Word Up with Danny Katz. If you would like to learn more about me, you can find me on my website, dannykatz.com, which is currently undergoing a massive over overhaul. You can find me at quantumlanguaging.com, where you can learn more about my coaching services, my consulting services, my courses, my webinars, etc. You can follow me on Instagram at something.danny. You can sign up for my newsletter at dannycats.com. That does it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness. Have a rockin' day. And four. <laughs> Clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews 
as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo, where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.